It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Caitlin, who has a whopping 14 chronic illnesses. Caitlin has been diagnosed with Crohn's disease, polycystic ovarian syndrome, prediabetes, psoriasis, hydradenitis superativa, dermatographism, chronic hives, dysautonomia, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, POTS, vasovagal syncope, cyclic vomiting syndrome, chronic Lyme disease, and long COVID. And Caitlin is just 23 years old. This was such a fascinating conversation because Caitlin is very knowledgeable about all these diseases, but she's also a person living with so many different illness processes happening inside of one body at the same time. And that leads to a lot of complications. For example, several of these illnesses have recommended diets that patients are supposed to adhere to. But what do you do if you have multiple illnesses and the diets conflict with each other? Then what do you eat? She's on a ton of medication to manage several of these illnesses, but because her case is so complicated, sometimes her doctors miss when her medications have negative interactions, and at one point she was put on two medications that caused her heart to stop. We'll talk about the ways in which her life has changed since all of these illnesses flared up, but with any chronic illness situation, of course, it brings new things to her life, and the major new thing that has come to Caitlin's life is service dog training. She actually trained her own service dog and is now being mentored in dog training and hopes to do this as a career in the future. The barriers to getting a service dog are steep and the cost is extremely prohibitive. So the idea of training your own service dog was something I'd never thought about and I was very interested to hear Caitlin talk about it. There was so much to talk about with Caitlin. And with each disease we talked about, Caitlin's chronic illness journey started to fill out in ways that were so surprising. She's been through so much at such a young age, and it makes for an absolutely fantastic episode of the podcast. I'm thrilled that Caitlin joined us to share her story, and I'm really excited to share it with you in just a couple minutes. Last week was a major episode of Major Pain <laughs> because it was my diagnosis episode. I have been diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, and the response that I got is is actually overwhelming. You know, I love to share comments on the podcast from previous episodes, and I just look through all of them trying to figure out what do I share, and I am actually overwhelmed. So, I, I will just say, you know, Thank you to everyone, uh, the amazing well wishes that I received, that Andy and I received for finally finding a diagnosis, finding an answer for my medical mystery. You know, I still can't even believe that I'm saying that out loud. So <laughs> it's just so, so exciting and rewarding and validating. And to have the support of this amazing community behind me, uh, excited about this news in the way that I am is wonderful. So Wow. It just, it just feels so great. Thank you all so much. I did get an email after last week's episode came out that I do want to share. This is from Winnie. It's called Congratulations on Your Diagnosis. Hi, Jesse. I have listened to your podcast for a long, long time. I wanted to congratulate you on your diagnosis. I am so happy for you. I just had a feeling it would be MCAS. I have it too, amongst other disorders and take dozens of meds. Blech. Beware, though, autoimmune diseases hunt in packs, so you may gather some more. I am so happy that your treatment and team are successful. 
A helpful website is www.inspire.com slash groups slash mast-cell-diseases-unite. I am not sure if you have come across it, but it's a great place to get real-world advice on medications, etc., and everyone is so supportive. Keep up the amazing work with the podcast. It feels so good to hear other people going through the same things. Winnie, thank you so much for your kind email, and thank you so much for sharing that resource, the Mast Cell Group on Inspire.com. I'm going to check it out, and I just wrote you a, uh, a thank you, but I will say it here as well that if you ever want to share your story on the podcast, it sounds like an interesting one, please let me know. You'd be very welcome. The day that podcast came out last week, I actually got sick that day. And I really thought that I was having a COVID rebound, even though I did not take Paxlovid, which, you know, often causes a rebound uh, when you go off of Paxlovid, but I didn't take it. And I started to get sick again. I was having very similar symptoms. I was having the chills and exhaustion and gastrointestinal issues. Uh, and I ended up getting sick for most of the week. And I started to panic a little bit. You know, I'm like, what is happening? Why am I having COVID symptoms again? I'm, I'm testing negative. I'm on like three weeks out from having COVID. I reached out to all my doctors. I'm like, is this something with my MCAS? You know, is this like a weird cross-reaction? Is this an issue with being on MCAS medication? Should I go off of my medication? What's happening? And I readily admit that I had some severe anxiety about it going on because, you know, I, I know a lot about long COVID. I've talked to a lot of long COVID patients and it is something that I uh, fear as well as having a fear of COVID flaring up my existing chronic illness. But towards the end of being sick for the week, I started to wonder if it was maybe something else entirely. I didn't have any sinus symptoms this time or sore throat or anything like that. And at the end of the week, I started to wonder if maybe I'd had like some sort of stomach flu or something completely unrelated. So that's kind of what my, what my instinct is telling me. My intuition is saying, this was just bad luck. I just got a second virus of some other kind. And I'm definitely improving, although I'm also, you know, I'm really, I'm struggling to get back on my feet after, after COVID and whatever this other thing was. I'm, I'm definitely not feeling how I was feeling pre-COVID, but I am improving and I'm just trying to take it super slow, be real kind to my body. Uh, I've canceled a lot of things that I had planned in the month of September just to kind of rest. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling positive. I think that I'm heading in the right direction. I do have some other thank yous to share this week before we get into Caitlin's story. One of the ways I receive financial support from creating this podcast is through our partnership with Rare Patient Voice, which is such a cool program. If you have a diagnosis of any kind, you can sign up to participate in research studies and surveys and be paid for your time. Every time someone signs up using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, I get a $10 Amazon gift card. And I'm so excited someone else signed up uh, right before last week's episode came out. And I always appreciate that. And I've also realized that now I can sign up for Rare Patient Voice because I have a diagnosis and I'm going to do it. I'm very excited about this. I want to participate in some MCAS studies and surveys because this disease is not super well understood. So, you know, all the research that can be done, I am super here for. Thank you also to one of our Patreon supporters, Soph, who edited their monthly contribution from the standard, which is $2 per month for Patreon supporters up to $5 per month, which I really appreciate. 
I'm so grateful that you've decided to contribute more per month. That means a lot. On Patreon, we have three tiers of support, but you can actually, uh, you can support us with whatever financial amount you want per month. It does not need to be one of those tiers, but there are different levels of recognition and gifts based off of those three tiers, the $2 per month supporter, $7 per month patron, and $25 per month producers. Extra special thank you to our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. We have some amazing gifts when you sign up. There are some beautiful Major Pain coasters for our $7 per month patrons and some Major Pain tote bags for our $25 per month producers. Both are created by my mom, and I love how they turned out, and I'm always so excited to mail them out. And of course, our entire Patreon community gains access to our monthly bonus episodes, and we finally released our bonus episode for the month of August. Andy and I went into detail about my first COVID experience. I finally had COVID. And of course, it happened while I was in Hawaii, which was a bummer. Uh, But we'll talk you through that whole thing as well as what we're reading recently, because I've been reading a ton, and I'm thrilled that Andy is now reading one of my favorite fantasy series of all time, the Farseer Trilogy by Robin Hobb. I'm so excited that she is reading this, and I'm rereading it for the third time as she's reading it with me for the first time. So we talk about that on the new bonus episode. All the bonus episodes are so much fun, so be sure you head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to check it out, and that link is in the description of this episode. And I'll also put a link directly to the new bonus episode, so if you are already signed up on Patreon, you can click right over and check it out. Patreon has added a new feature where you can create collections, which are essentially playlists. So now all of the bonus episodes are in one playlist and you can find them all quickly and easily. And I think this is a great addition. Thank you, Patreon. Don't forget to leave this podcast a positive rating and review wherever it is that you listen, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. That is an amazing place to support this show by leaving us a positive rating and review. I keep an eye out for those and I love to read them on the next episode of the podcast. And Spotify is another major place to leave us a positive rating that is super helpful. And I love hearing from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to share with our audience, email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, and I would love to share your thoughts in the next episode. I'll remind you, as always, that I am not a medical professional, and nothing that is shared on this podcast is intended as medical advice. Please do not take any action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our incredible episode with Caitlin about her 14 chronic illnesses. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. You are a friend of Chris Coates, who we interviewed on the podcast about uh, hypertrophic olivary degeneration several months ago. Fantastic episode of the show, and she... Uh, connected the two of us and said that you have a, a a story that's definitely worth sharing. And I'm excited today because I don't know anything about it. I know nothing about <laughs> your um, health conditions. You know, we're just meeting for the first time. So I'm going to be learning with our audience today. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit. So Caitlin, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Um, my name's Caitlin, as we just said, <laughs> but <laughs> I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am currently 23 years old. Um, I moved home last November to move back in with my parents after graduating college and getting a little bit into nursing school um, before my health really took a turn, which I try not to get into that yet. Um, <laughs> but now um, I had to figure out a new career. So I 
luckily got introduced to dog training through owner training my service dog. And so in December of last year, I think, November, December, I found somebody to mentor me in the dog training world. So I've been getting some training under her and getting my foot in the door there. Um, and I'm starting to take my own clients now with the end goal of maybe in the future training service dogs. But for the moment, I'm just doing like your normal puppies and it's fun. I get to play with dogs all day. And then when I don't feel well, I can just not feel well and be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love dogs. I have dog questions now. Um, <laughs> so what, what breed is your dog? He's a German Shepherd Husky. He's two years old. Um, he's been in training since he was eight months old, but I've only had him for a year as of July 9th. Okay. So owner training a service dog. Like this is something that I'm sure perked up some of our listeners' ears. What is involved in in training your own service dog? A lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> so he's actually a cardiac alert response. And then he also has a migraine alert. So we had to do a lot of back end stuff that wasn't even training where I had to collect my own samples and make sure I refrigerated them, make sure I freeze them, make sure I remembered to pull them out, make sure I didn't eat 30 minutes before a sample um, so that I had those so he could learn the scent that he needs to mm. do the alert. And then with that, once he learns that scent, you also have to pair it with whatever you want the alert to be. But it also was trial and error on what I wanted the alert to be because I wanted something that was nonchalant at first, like, you know, the nudge or like a lick alert, like where he licks your hand. But I ended up ignoring those. <laughs> I, I would be like, what are you doing? Why are you licking me? Or like, why are you nudging me? So now he has a jump alert. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say the biggest thing is it requires a lot of patience and time. Yeah. Okay. And and you mentioned a, like someone mentored you in this. So you had some, some help. Originally. No. Hmm. Um, I, when I got him, I had just gotten out of nursing school. I had only done a quarter and I decided to take just a quarter off to try to figure out what was going on with my health. When that turned into, I'm going to have to, discontinue nursing school until further notice or just in general is around the time that I got him. And so originally it was just me looking up videos, looking up people's social medias, trying to learn as much as I could on my own. And then through him, I was like, well, maybe I can make a career out of this since now I don't know what to do with my life. And so from July to November, I trained him. And in November, I got my first job as a dog trainer with mm. my current boss and mentor. Wow. And, and, that current boss and mentor have they helped you refine your uh service dog training oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and whenever i get stuck on something with him if it's he's he's fully trained now but if there's like a trick i want to do or something i just want to get a little crisper i can bring it to her and bring him to her and usually we'll work it out together and she'll give me some stuff to try and it's helped not only us as a team but also him be a service dog and he, he's taught me a lot to be able to be a dog trainer for other people in the future. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, service dogs are remarkably expensive. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm i just thinking back to one of our very first episodes. We talked to Maya, who's uh, I'm a roll with it on TikTok. Yes. And yes. she's amazing. Yeah. And uh, she, one of her big things for the first, you know, like year or two of her presence on social media was that she was fundraising for a service dog. And mm -hmm. it was like, I think it was like 30 or $40,000. Yeah. So 
I've looked up everything I've trained him to do. If I were to buy him from a program, he would be around $60,000. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, which is partially why I owner trained. Originally, I was going to do an online program where you work with a trainer, but you still had to find a dog that worked. And his story is actually really cool. And he just kind of fell into my lap. I had posted on a rehoming page in Tennessee where I was living at the time that I was looking for a service dog prospect. I knew it was a long shot to get a dog that like was a rescue or needed a home. And so I was looking for a German shepherd, a golden retriever, a lab, something, your stereotypical service dogs. And everyone was sending me chihuahuas and stuff. My boyfriend was like, well, your birthday's in a few days. You should keep it up, see what happens. And then after your birthday, you can take the post down if you want. I was like, okay, whatever. Like birthday magic, sure. <laughs> and at midnight on my birthday last year, I get this message from this lady and she goes, hey, I have this rescue dog. I've been working on him to be a service dog in hopes to sell him or give him to somebody that could really use him. He's yours if you want him. Wow. And... I was like, okay, that sounds too good to be true. There's no way. There's no way you're just going to give me a dog that you've already started service training with. And she was like, look, I don't need him. I have my own service dog. He needed a home. He's smart, intelligent. He needed something to work his brain. So I just started training him. So it sounds like you really need him. And if you want, I'll give him to you. So I met with her and everything worked out. And here we are. Amazing. What's the dog's name? His name's Sebastian. Sebastian. Adorable. <laughs> yeah, I, this is one of those things where it's like, when someone needs a service dog, they're likely not working. And then to ask someone to pay $60,000 for something that is massively helpful, you know, I mean, any sort of tool to help someone with accessibility can be such a huge impact on their lives and they're all so freaking expensive it is crazy like a nice wheelchair is you know thousands of dollars and most of this stuff is usually not covered by insurance well I mean, it depends on your diagnosis like there's definitely diagnoses where you can get a wheelchair under insurance or maybe even a service right. dog i don't know but you know we're often like fighting to get diagnoses anyway fighting to have people take our situations seriously so on top of that, it's like, yeah, well, if you want this thing, it's $60,000. It's just very unfair. Right. Yes. Or if you're not doing that in your owner training, it still takes two to three years to train them up. And then wow. by the time they're fully trained, you're looking at getting another one. So. Wow. What's the lifespan of a service dog? Most of the time they're fully trained around the age of two or three. And then around about five, four or five years old, you start looking for your next prospect. So by the time they're eight years old, they can retire, be a happy dog. And you already have this other dog that's kind of starting to take over for them anyway. So in about three or four years, I'll be getting a puppy to train up to replace him. Wow. Unless I don't need it, which like, that's the hope. Hopefully I get to a point I don't need a service dog, but for the moment, that's the plan. Fascinating. Well, I learned a ton just now. Thank you so much for going down this tangent with us, but we still don't even know why you need a service dog. So Caitlin, right. what is your major pain? So I have 14 chronic illnesses. 14. <laughs> I got to get a notepad. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to pull but, up a note, notes app on my phone. What, what are your 14 <laughs> chronic illnesses? Oh goodness. I'll start, I guess at the beginning. Um, Crohn's disease was the first. Okay. PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. That has caused pre-diabetes that has to be managed or it will become diabetes. My skin stuff, I have psoriasis, hydrogenitis, supertiva, dermatographism, and chronic hives. 
And then I have dysautonomia, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, and POTS. Wow. Vasovagal syncope with the POTS, cyclic vomiting syndrome, which is a rare disorder, chronic Lyme, and long COVID. Wow. And I <laughs> that is a lot. I think that's everything. Um, and long COVID. I'm just taking I'm taking notes over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know we've actually done episodes on a lot of these. Um, so our our listeners, our long term listeners, will I and I myself am familiar with a few of these. But there's mm-hmm. so, several here that we've not talked about on the show. Um, <laughs> I've got Crohn's disease, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. That's one I'm unfamiliar with. Um, prediabetes, psoriasis. Did you say hydrogenitis superativa, HS? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I, that's something we learned a lot about recently. That is a very painful condition. I actually listened to that episode. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, der- dermatographism. That's one I don't know. Um, so it's also known as skin writing disorder. Oh, interesting. Oh, 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 I have heard of this. Someone yes. mentioned this. Someone mentioned this as a, a comorbidity of something recently, and I don't remember what it was now. But that's when you like you can write on your skin with a finger and it will it will show up. Yes. Yeah. Chronic hives, dysautonomia. Do you know which form of dysautonomia you have? So they've kind of put it generalized. But then they've also said, because I have the POTS and the Ehlers-Danlos or Dowlers, however you want to pronounce it, they just umbrellaed me as dysautonomia okay. and specified with those two and just left it at that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> POTS itself is absolutely a form of dysautonomia. Right. Um, hypermobile EDS, which is, it seems like we're living inside of a silent pandemic of hypermobile EDS right now. Just so many people being diagnosed. Yes. It's yeah. to the point here in Atlanta, they don't, they don't, if you have all the signs they won't genetically test you anymore really unless you have indicators of another form of Ehlers-Danlos and that makes sense because there is no genetic marker for the hypermobile form well but they're also looking at usually if you have one sometimes you have another form yeah and that's very important to know because there can be some very dangerous forms and if you have a family history it would be great to get genetically tested which my sister and my grandmother both have Ehlers-Danlos as well yeah so for us we would love to get tested just to make sure we don't have one of those other ones but it's not apparently not going to happen and yeah and to i mean you can go out of pocket for that but again thousands of dollars and that's something that you know my long-term goal with this podcast is to someday have generate enough revenue from creating the podcast to support my basic needs to create it and then i'd love to have a fund going to pay for genetic testing for people because so many people need it and it's one of those things that it's like a stopping block in a lot of people's diagnostic journeys um Mm -hmm. i know it was for me until you know my partner andy paid for it for me um, yeah. And of course, you know, <laughs> all we found on it was a genetic marker of unknown significance, which was, you know, story of my life. Yep. Anyway, um, yep. <laughs> vasal, vasovagal syncope. That sounds familiar, but I don't know what that is. So that's where, you know, when people see blood or needles and they faint. Yeah. That's a vasovagal response. But you can also just have it to where you can just be sitting there and faint or you are shaving your legs and faint. Hmm. Um, so mine with the POTS was tricky to diagnose because I also faint with my POTS and have the cardiac issues and neuro issues that come with POTS. But then I also was fainting when everything seemed perfectly fine. So it took a little longer to get diagnosed because I had this back and forth of, is it vasovagal syncope? Is it POTS? 
or is it both? And we've come to the conclusion that I have both. So I just kind of wow. got screwed in the fainting. <laughs> <laughs> My family likes to say I'm like a fainting goat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Cyclic vomiting. We just did an amazing episode with Raven about um, where we learned a lot about that. And long COVID, I think people are familiar with. But I forgot to ask, okay, what is what is polycystic ovarian syndrome? So that is a disorder in women that can cause or cysts on their ovaries, but it can also cause a shift in their hormones. So my body, I just had my hormones tested last year, produces too much testosterone Hmm. and doesn't produce enough progesterone and estrogen and all of that. So where a normal female would get their cycle 12 times a year, if you have PCOS, those cycles can last anywhere from the normal cycle amount, which is usually 30 days, and then you have your period for seven, they'll get it for 15 to 30 days on their period. Or some cases like mine is you hardly ever get it at all because your, Mm. your hormones are just not keeping up with what your body needs. Yeah, I know they are all going to overlap. And Mm -hmm. you know, you're in one body experiencing all these different things. (laughs) What is your chronic illness experience? What does it feel like to live in your body? exhausting (laughs) it feels like um i've done a lot of mindset work but a lot of times it feels like my body's fighting itself yeah but then i also try to twist that and say well you know i'm going through it my body's going through it and we're both fighting these illnesses together but some days that's a lot harder to think it's most of the time it feels like i'm just my body's just giving up and attacking itself and i've had doctors say that too so Mm, yeah do you, like. <laughs> do you flare up do you have bad days what are those like yes so before a year ago it wasn't as bad um the crohn's was the major issue i would just get sick i had to stay on a specific diet if i didn't i would get sick um now i have cyclic vomiting episodes every other week where i'm throwing up one to two days and then it takes me two to three days to recover and it's like a never ending cycle. Yeah. What was, so Crohn's was the first thing. When did that start? Crohn's started in 2018 and I was diagnosed in 2020, right before the pandemic and right before lockdown. Okay. Were you having symptoms for a while before getting a diagnosis? Yeah. Yes. No. Looking back on it, I had some indicators my whole life of certain things um, with multiple of my illnesses that I just didn't know weren't normal things. Like I had a random pork allergy. It turns out if you have Crohn's disease, a lot of times you're sensitive to pork, hmm. but I had had some symptoms. I went to the doctor on campus and was like, Hey, this is what's going on. I had like bloody diarrhea. I was throwing up all the time. My stomach hurt. I was in pain. And she was like, Oh, you have colon cancer. Oh my God. With no tests, and no tests, no nothing. And I wanted to go into the medical field. So at that point I should have known, but I was also 18, had just moved away to college in my head. Like, oh my gosh, I had colon cancer. And my mom was like, Caitlin, slow down. We're going to get you a GI. We're going to bring you to Atlanta. You're going to see a GI here. And, you know, we're going to figure out what's going on. I don't think you have colon cancer. And I was like, okay, well, for now, that's my diagnosis. Like I must have cancer. So I see a GI in Atlanta and they were not great. Um, it took six months to get in. So in that six months, I was getting sicker and another three months to get an endoscopy. That was normal. Another six months to get um, a colonoscopy. And so around 
October of 2019, they were like, just go on a low FODMAP diet. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly fine. After and nine then, months of waiting to find out if you had colon cancer, they just, mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah, it's nothing. Go away. Yeah. So they said, low FODMAP diet, go like, you're fine. Move on. You have nothing wrong with you. And then I kept getting sicker and sicker. So I was like, I'm going to need a second opinion. This low FODMAP diet's not doing anything. I still feel like crap. This is not normal. I'm missing school and I was a biology major. So missing school at the time, I think I was a chem major. So missing classes was not an option. And so in February of 2020, saw a new GI. He got me scheduled in scopes quickly. He looked at my old chart and said, did you know you had a cyst on these scans last year? And I said, no, they told me everything was normal and clean. Oh, that's so frustrating. So he said, it looks like you have Crohn's disease based off your lab work, your deficiencies. And I would like to redo all of these scopes and scans. And I said, okay, sure, let's do it. Cause I want to diagnose this. I need to figure out what's going on. And that time between July and February, I had now 12 ulcers and erosion starting in my cecum and full blown Crohn's disease. Yeah, I'm thinking back to our episode with Douglas about Crohn's. Can you remind me the the basics of Crohn's disease? So Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease that can cause ulcerations and other issues in your entire digestive tract. So our ulcer colitis is just in, I think, the small intestine. Crohn's disease is like everywhere from your mouth to your anus. Okay. And I'm remembering there's like specific things that can inflame, uh, like specific foods, like popcorn, seeds um corn bell peppers gluten soda caffeine yeah (laughs) but there is um medication that can be helpful right yes once you were officially diagnosed did they get you on this medication we did a lot of trial and error but i was diagnosed and then literally two weeks later lockdown happened oh wow (laughs) so all of a sudden i couldn't go in to appointments yeah health i was we were trialing and airing to see what medication would work but i also couldn't at the time i couldn't go into my doctor so we were trying telehealth we were trying to figure everything out covid's going on then i got diagnosed with pcos then i got diagnosed with other things and finally and then i had the vomiting episodes at this time happening around every three months. So I would get on a new Crohn's medicine. I would start vomiting. We would switch the medicine thinking the vomiting was Crohn's disease. Mm. Come to find out it probably wasn't. Finally got on a very strict diet and I got on Humira for HS, but with the counter that it could also help the Crohn's disease. And I've been in remission now since June of last year. So over a year. Humira can help with HS and Crohn's disease. Yes. Oh, man, that's I've never heard that. That That's one of those interesting tips that like someone out there is like, oh, man, I got to try yes. that. <laughs> yes, it has been definitely a game changer for both. <laughs> that's fascinating. Do you know anything about why that it helps with both? It was originally made for Crohn's disease. Oh, wow. um, and since HS is also an inflammatory issue, there's been some studies that show that it can help people who don't have a super severe case if caught early enough, which I was very fortunate to catch the HS before it became worse than it was. So my doctors were willing to say, hey, you know, you're not on it for Crohn's, but can we work with your GI and maybe put you on Humira, see if it helps your HS. 
and potentially help your Crohn's disease. And my GI was like, yeah, I mean, we don't have a medication that's helped you yet. So let's do it. And it put me in remission for Crohn's disease and it keeps the HS at bay for the most part. So, yeah. So right after lockdown starts, all of these chronic illnesses just start bubbling to the surface. Have your doctors, I mean, they never do. So I'm assuming the answer is no, but have your doctors tried to look at why that happened? Why so many illnesses popped up in one person? No, shaking head. No, (laughs) they never do. (laughs) They never do. I mean, I, oftentimes because they just don't know, you know, they, they don't even know where to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how does that feel for you to have this many pop up at once? It's frustrating because I went from being a perfectly healthy college athlete, 18 years old to now being 23 and living at home, trying to figure out a new career path with a service dog basically scheduling my life around appointments, flying around the United States for treatments and appointments and being on podcasts, talking about my story, sharing my story on social media. And it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. That's a very young age to have this many health challenges pop up at the same time. And I can, I can tell that you've already become a little bit jaded about the medical system. You know, you start, you start your journey with a doctor telling you, you have colon cancer and you believe them. And you already know, just a few years later, you already know that, um, that that was wrong and that when doctors tell you something, it doesn't always mean that that's what's real in your body. It's one doctor's opinion and you always need to do tests or see another doctor or try medication before you can really confirm anything. That's a hard thing to learn at any age, but I feel like at such a young age, that's, that's so difficult. And I think it also, I worked in the emergency room in trauma bay um during my last year of college because i was going to nursing school um so i think that also gave me a little bit of more perspective and kind of jadedness on the medical system because Mm. i was literally watching people come in and just doctors be like oh okay whatever during my undergrad i was a scribe before i got into nursing school and so i was dealing with the covid wing i was dealing with people coming in with chronic illnesses and I had felt the feeling of being a patient in the ER and getting written off because I had chronic illness, but now I was seeing how doctors react when people come in with chronic illness, like the behind the scenes that you don't see as a patient. Mm. And they just, they give up. They don't care. They're like, I'm an ER doctor. There's nothing I can do for them. So sometimes we would just have that person be sitting there and we weren't treating them just because there was nothing that the doctor could do. So they just let them sit there. Yeah. Which is partially why I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to feel like I was making a change and help people that were like me, but life has different plans. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little about dermatographism. So this is when you when you can like write on your skin with a finger and, and you see the lines. How long will they last on your skin? Um, for me, usually max two hours. Wow, that's a long time. Yes. So I got diagnosed with that and HS at the same time. Wow. I thought I had MCAS because I had, I guess I didn't get, I didn't know I had POTS yet, but I had been seeing a lot of posts on MCAS and mast cell activation syndrome in people. And I knew that my grandmother had Ehlers-Danlos and MCAS falls under dysautonomia. So I was like, well, those are kind of related. Since she has Ehlers-Danlos, maybe 
I have this dysautonomia thing. Maybe I have MCAS. And then I also have HSS. So there are multiple things going on. Went into the dermatologist and she was like, well, let's, let me see something. So she scratched my leg to see if she could see it raise up and see what she wrote. She like written her name on my leg and you could see everywhere. It, it looks like hives, her name just hmm. written on my leg. And she goes, yeah, no, you have dermatographism. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about MCAS because I know POTS, um, EDS and MCAS can present together. Yes. And I was just diagnosed with MCAS a couple of weeks ago. As we're recording this podcast, I haven't even announced that on the main <laughs> feed yet. But um, but we've we've been suspecting it for a long time for me. And I went on medication and made massive, massive improvements in a lot of my symptoms. And you mentioned chronic hives. So I was wondering about, about MCAS. Is that something that you're still looking into? Or is that something that they've kind of ruled out? They say they've ruled it out. But I'm not convinced. Yeah. Because after that derm dermatologist, about a month after is when I started fainting. So I kind of put the skin stuff back on the back burner. But with that, I break out in these hives almost daily. And I saw an immunologist about it. And he said it sounded more like chronic hives just because everything I have going on in my body. He flat out said, it sounds like your body's just giving up and it's breaking out in hives to tell you, hey, I've had enough, but there's nothing you can do about it. And so he ran some lab work and he says, I don't have MCAS, but I'm still not, I'm not trying to self-diagnose myself. I'm just not convinced. Yeah. I, my lab work was, is still negative for MCAS. The labs for MCAS are unreliable. And I have, <laughs> I, I was, got so lucky with my doctor who's like, okay, well, we're going to run the labs because if they're positive, then you have it. But if not, you have enough of the symptoms that we're going to try the medication anyway. Um, and then after the the improvement that I had was like unmistakable. You know, I went from needing a wheelchair to like jogging on MCAS wow. medication. So it's like, yeah, this is obviously working. We kept layering in new medications and I kept getting better. Um, so where like my flare up is um, I was I'm just out of a six year long flare up, you know, wow. as of last January. So it's been, we're recording this in mid July. So it's, you know, been like seven months now that my body's been starting to work again because of MCAS medication, which I never would have gotten if my doctor hadn't been willing to dig a little bit deeper. And there are doctors out there who are willing to, and it's amazing when they do, but there's some really easy things you can do to test yourself. Like go on the low histamine diet. Although, you know, you're already on a special diet Low histamine diet is extremely restrictive. It is not an easy diet. I said that like it was easy. It is not. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that for me, that was step one. And then I started, you know, this is not medical advice. Talk to your doctor before doing anything. But um, I started taking a DAO enzyme, DAO, which breaks down histamine. Um, and then I started seeing some benefit. And then something diagnostic that people can try is when you're having a flare up, like when you're having your uh, like hives or something like that. Um, just take a Benadryl and see what happens within an hour or two. Like diagnostically, that can be really helpful. So for me, like mine was hiding behind neurological symptoms. And the first time I took a Benadryl and got, and my neurological symptoms got better, it really blew my mind. I was like, this isn't right. You know, this shouldn't be, I shouldn't be taking an allergy medication to help my neurological symptoms. But now that I've been diagnosed with MCAS, like that makes perfect sense. Uh, and a lot of those things are things you can just try. You know, I would, uh, like I keep saying, please ask your doctor first. You have such <laughs> a complicated 
uh, kaleidoscope going on already. Yeah, and that's what had happened was he had said, take three Allegra a day. If that doesn't work, take Zizol. Hmm. And both of those worked for a while. And then my theory is like, you know how your body can build up immunity to the medications if mm-hmm. you take them too long? That's what I think happened is it worked for a while. I got used to it, switched medications, got used to it. And then he's still convinced it's chronic hives. There's not much else you can do for that. Yeah. So my only option right now is to take Benadryl until I find a doctor that's willing to try something else. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that I nothing works for me if I'm not on the low histamine diet. Um, if I'm like ingesting histamine, my body flares. And it's just like a one-to-one, it will happen. If I'm not ingesting histamine and I'm on all this medication, my body can can assert some control over my mast cells. Um, but otherwise, they're just you know, firing off left and right. <laughs> so it's, it's a frustrating disease because it's like, you got to do everything. You can't do one thing. Um, you have to do all of it. And my goal is to like do all of it. So I don't need Benadryl. Um, and right. that, that has been working for me with, you know, with some exceptions and that's what Benadryl is there for. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really hard one to manage, but it is possible for sure. I've seen huge, huge, huge improvement managing it. Yeah. I think for me, he had mentioned going on a low histamine diet and gave me this whole pamphlet. For me, it's hard because I have like, and I'm working on this currently. I used to be very good about my diet because it's what helped with all most of my illnesses. And then when I got the cyclic vomiting, I kind of was just like, screw it. I don't hold food down every other week. I'm going to enjoy eating again because I was on a specific diet for Crohn's disease, a specific diet for HS. And then there was one for chronic hives and they don't, a lot of them don't overlap. Yeah. So it's like, I have to be restrictive on this. So I could eat, let's say bananas that are high in histamine for these diets. I can eat bananas for the low histamines. I cannot for the low histamine diet. I can eat this, but for Crohn's disease, I can't. And so trying to find food to enjoy and eat, with all these different diets, it's like you have to do some give and take. Yeah, that's so so true. And just the low histamine diet alone is really, really hard. And it took me like six months to kind of get it down. But recently in the last couple months, what I've been learning, you know, they I've read this all along that everyone's <laughs> dietary triggers are different uh, and that not everything that is high histamine is going to make you react. But I've finally started taking that to heart and experimenting with that. And I've put in a bunch of foods that are on the no-go list. Um, like bananas is a good example. Bananas, I believe, rele- they are a histamine liberator where they cause your body to release its own stored histamine, which is essentially just as bad as eating histamine, unless you don't react to bananas. Um, like for me, egg whites is on the list. Like you can't have egg whites. They are high histamine. I don't react to egg whites. And I don't know why, but I, after, after like six months of being extremely restrictive and, you know, whittling down all my foods list to like just the basics that were, and then I, I'm like, oh, wow, now I feel better. Um, but then I started to get malnourished because there's just not enough nutrients. So I started experimenting one thing at a time, trying things again. And I found several things that I can eat that I don't react to. And now because I'm in a, like in remission from my flare up, I can really tell when I eat the wrong thing, you know, like sauerkraut, kimchi, fermented stuff. That's that's just off the table. It's like that's so high histamine that I don't think that anyone 
Well, I mean, there are, there's exceptions to everything, but I think that almost everyone with MCAS probably can't eat those foods. But, right. you know, there's things like, uh, like no ground meat and meat in general. I, I'm discovering that I, I don't react to meat as much as, as I think other people do. Like I've tried having a, a burger because, you know, like ground meat grows histamine on the surface. So you're not supposed to have any ground meats at all. But yeah, it's I, ground meat, deli meat. Right. Yeah. yeah. I haven't experimented with deli meat yet, but I have started experimenting with ground meat and not flared up. And also now that I'm on all this medication, my body's a little more stable. I think that um, the goal is to eventually start to put things back in beyond, you know, what I'm doing now and, and be okay. So my, my experience with a low histamine diet is like be super, super strict until you start to feel better. Um, and that's also diagnostically relevant. Okay. And then you can start to kind of put some things back in and see what do I react to the, and ignore the list. Like I had to get the list out of my brain of the, the low histamine foods, you know, cause it was, it's so restrictive and I was being too restrictive with myself and I was really struggling to eat and it was causing anxiety. I was having like pre-meal panic and it was, mm -hmm. it was getting really bad. Um, so like I, I downloaded the fig app to track everything. I love that app. <laughs> and I was, I was like opening this app at the grocery store and having like an anxiety attack about what am I going to eat? And then I was like, put this app away and just eat food and see what happens. And if it's bad, don't eat it again. And it, it became that simple for me. And it's, it's working so at. much better. Yeah. I have to try that. That's where I've kind of been at lately is like, I know what foods I really, really cannot eat. And I stay away from those. And then everything else, I'm just like, okay, now are there things that I shouldn't be eating? And I know I shouldn't be eating because I do know they flare up at least something in my illness list. Yes, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to have some joy, you know, like I'm a chocoholic and chocolate is a histamine liberator. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's what yeah. So, but my favorite chocolate treat before going on the histamine diet, it's called Honey Mamas. I think it's a Pacific Northwest thing. Um, yeah, there's like these squares of like coconut and chocolate that are um, like d different flavors. Like one's peppermint, one's coffee. Ooh. And I went off of them when I went off of chocolate. But then I just bought some recently, the peppermint flavor. The coffee's out because I know I react to coffee. Um, but I tried the peppermint ones and just like a third of a... There's like three... <laughs> Each square is like in three sections and I'll take a third of a third of the whole thing at a time and I'm not reacting to it. And it's like, that was my favorite pre-diet treat right. because there's little enough chocolate in that. It's not like a solid chocolate bar. I used to eat, you know, like 90% chocolate, like cacao, you know, dark chocolate. Um, right. And that's a no-go for me now because, you know, if I have like solid chocolate, I will flare but just having this Honey Mama's thing that it's mostly coconut flavored with cacao, also flavored with some other things, that's not flaring me up. So it's like my, my body, my body is the only body that matters in my situation. You know, it's like. What? Exactly. And that's what makes, that's what makes chronic illness so hard. Yes. I think not only for us, but for doctors too. It's like, I could have two patients that have the same illnesses and they're going to react completely different to foods, yeah. medications, symptoms everything yeah totally and you just you have to become the arbiter of your own life you know and you have to take in the information from the doctors but then be willing to put some of it down and do what works for you um, but that can exactly. take years that can take years for sure when when in this journey were you diagnosed with uh with eds a few months ago wow <laughs> um my sister my little sister who's 
she's 17 now. She was diagnosed with amplified pain syndrome and hypermobility spectrum disorder. At this time, my grandmother was in the hospital with cancer, but it allowed us to actually see her medical file. And she'd always said that she had some chronic illnesses and never actually told us what they were. Um, one of those was Ehlers-Danlos and it's in her chart. And I was like, she has this, that's genetic. I had seen where there's a study that shows that it skips a generation. So my dad and my uncles, they're all fine. They're normal, pretty healthy other than like ADHD and stuff like that. Um, but with my dad's side of the family, all seven of us girls have some history of a at least one chronic illness. So when my sister got diagnosed with a hypermobility spectrum disorder, my grandmother, I found she had Ehlers-Danlos. I took it to my doctor and said, hey, look, I have these indicators. I can do all the bendy things. Um, I have these symptoms. You know, I'm having at this time, I, it would have been a year ago. I didn't have the cyclic vomiting diagnosis yet. And I knew that Ehlers-Danlos could cause some nausea vomiting. So I was like, maybe that's what's causing this. I know it's not curable. I know there's no known treatment, but maybe we can get this vomiting thing under control if I have that diagnosis. And she didn't disagree that I had it, but she also disagreed that's what was causing the vomiting. So mm. here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty recent. I mean, you're still sort of integrating that news into your life. Um. Yeah, I think I just kind of ignored it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got enough going on. Yeah, I think right now I'm more focused on the POTS and cyclic vomiting side of things that the hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos, it probably is a bigger issue than I make it to be, or there's probably more to it than what I think it is. Um, but with all of that going on, that's just not even, it's just kind of there. Sure. Like it's on my list, but I don't really deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and it, I wonder if, because Ehlers-Danlos is a connective tissue disease, I wonder if, you know, having a connective tissue disease is leading to some of these other, uh, you know, chronic illness that chronic illnesses that you're experiencing that sound like there may be more at the top level of what you are struggling through. Um, yes. But maybe <laughs> below that, it's like, well, this could be the, the cause of some of those things, um, which you know, doesn't necessarily help <laughs> to know that, but it is nice to kind of understand your own body as a system. And it would be nice to say like, this is what caused for the past four or five years, your health to just decline. Like, I wish I knew there was like, you're healthy and then boom, now you're chronically ill with 14 illnesses. Yeah. It would be nice. Even if there's not like a, oh, we can fix it just to know this is what caused all of that but nobody's looking at that except yeah. me <laughs> yeah and you know that is unfortunately that's the way it is and as chronic illness patients we are the ones who have to put those pieces together and mm -hmm. figure out the right questions to ask our doctors without letting them know that we're doing their jobs for them <laughs> because they don't like that you know right it's like ask the question that will lead to a potentially lead to a test that you may or may not need um without saying hey this is what i think i have test me for it. You know, it's and like, especially if, you, if you go in and say, I've been doing all this reading, I think I have X, Y, Z. And then they look at you like you're nuts and you're just playing Dr. Google. And yeah. Yeah. Which I've been guilty of. And I have absolutely thought that I had many things that I did not have, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think for me, most of the time, this sound, like this is going to sound so narcissistic, but I think most of the time I've been right. And with the exception of the cyclic vomiting syndrome, I had convinced myself it was Ellis Danlos, Addison's disease, um, 
basically anything that said it could lead to really bad nausea vomiting episodes i convinced myself i had that and i was convinced that was the answer and but i think that was also just me grasping for some explanation as what was going on so yeah and i'm drawing a blank right now i remember raven saying something in their episode about a medication for cvs that was helping but i can't remember what it was so i'm currently taking zofran which doesn't do anything and propanolol, which is a beta blocker to hopefully help the pots and cyclic vomiting. And then I also take sumatriptan nasal spray, um, which has helped some, but not completely. Yeah. How many medications are you on? <laughs> um, currently I take a B12 injection, an iron supplement, a potassium supplement, the Sumatriptan, Zofran, Propanolol, Humira. I think that's it. Oh, and then I have some like prescription cream medications for psoriasis and stuff. Yeah, we haven't even talked about psoriasis. <laughs> I mean, which I, it, all of the, so many of these individual illnesses we've done whole episodes about, you know, like psoriasis itself can be extremely debilitating. Yes. <laughs> HS can be extremely debilitating. Crohn's disease can be extremely debilitating, especially when you have any of these diseases and you don't know it and you're not treated for it yes. you know yeah that can be so debilitating but it also it it's tricky because some medications can cause for instance crohn's disease i can't take certain medications for some of my illnesses because it can cause a crohn's flare and cause inflammation in the in the digestive tract yeah or the other tricky thing is the humera and back when I was on, I was on Metagen for POTS and oh, yeah. that one interacted with a lot of medications and it wasn't always caught. So they had tried me on amitriptyline helps a lot of patients with cyclic vomiting syndrome. It's an antidepressant. Um, and they had missed that I was on Metagen and missed that Metagen and amitriptyline have a red box label, which means like it's a big no, no. Mm. Well, I got put on them together, took it and my heart stopped. So wow. It's also very tricky of with all these illnesses, what medications can impact what illness, what medications can interact and what things am I willing to have flare up because I need relief from this problem. Well said. Yes. Hugely important. What happened when your heart stopped? <laughs> um, so I was driving this is before a couple weeks before i got sebastian i was driving home from babysitting and next thing i knew i had i was hitting a mailbox um so i called my dad and i was like hey normally when i'm fainting from pots you know i have these symptoms of i'm dizzy lightheaded i have these pre they're called pre-syncope symptoms I know those are a thing. I know that usually means if I'm driving, I have to pull over. I know that that means I'm probably going to faint or like I need to take a break. And I called my cardiologist and was like, this is what happened. He said, that's not POTS. You need to come in immediately. Um, he literally cleared part of his schedule or gave up his, I don't know what happened. He might've given up his lunch to get me an appointment. I love my cardiologist. He's been a godsend, mm. um, but he, we talked about it. He goes, well, one of two things, your heart stopped or you have now prolonged QT something, um, ran a bunch of tests, put me on a halter monitor. 
kept me coming in monthly and we basically reached the conclusion that the medications had caused my heart to stop and luckily it kicked back in and here we are. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's scary. I, I have tried Minadrin also and that was a, that was actually one of the more uncomfortable drugs that I've tried where it like really like affects your, your blood flow. Yes. I don't think for me, because I was getting so many blood flow problems and the POTS things, it did help. Hmm. But what was frustrating was it was impacting all these other things of you can't take this medication because you're on Midadrin. We can't prescribe this to help fix this because you're on Midadrin. And hmm. I think that was what was frustrating for me on that medication um, versus the side effects and symptoms of it. Because to me, I thought it, I wasn't fainting as much. Um, so to me, that was a huge win because I went from fainting two to three times at least a week to maybe once a month on Midadrin. So I would say it was successful. Yeah, totally. I, that's awesome. And it, that's the thing. It's like everyone's body's so different. I take uh, metoprolol, which is a beta blocker similar to propanolol. Pro <laughs> I can't say that one. Um, but we thought I had POTS for a while, but it ended up not being that. I was just having a high heart rate, which can be a side effect of MCAS. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that with the, the metoprolol, it's been great. Like, you know, my, my heart rate's been much more normal. Um, and also I had to stop using cannabis products because that was giving me POTS like symptoms, which was that a, is a big bummer. One of the top questions I get asked because there's another form and I, y'all might've talked about this on your cyclic vomiting. Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Is that what you're going to say? Yep. <laughs> I get asked that a time. And I actually just had a doctor who, because you're not supposed to, if you have cyclic vomiting, like if you use any cannabis oil, like cannabis products, it can land you straight in the ER. Well, my doctor was basically like, I have these things you can try. You can try getting your date periods. You can try doing this. Um, and you know what? I've seen people have like miracle workers with marijuana. So if it comes down to it, I think you should just try it once and like understand it could go terribly wrong. Mm. But it could also help you. And there's not going to be an in-between, but go ahead and try it. And I was like, ah, I think I'd rather try everything else first. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I know that's been diagnosed with CHS for, for vomiting has been a misdiagnosis. Um, doctors go to that a lot. And they say, oh, you're, you have to stop taking marijuana because that's causing your vomiting. And, you know, that was a huge problem for Raven on their uh, CVS episode. But so far, 100% of the time I've heard of that happening, they've discovered that they missed something really important. Um, yeah. and, and it wasn't cannabis causing people to vomit. It was something else. And I'm not saying that CHS doesn't exist. I'm just saying that doctors, I think, over diagnose that because it's easy to blame the patient for causing their vomiting themselves. Right. And especially because CVS in adults is so it's, it is a rare disorder. So yeah. it's not something they're looking at. For me, I was fortunate that I don't use those products. And so it was an automatic rule out. So that was the first thing they went to was, oh, it must be CHS. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't use cannabis products. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, then it's definitely not that. Um, but the other thing that's frustrating on the CVS front is based off my tests for POTS and my tilt tables and things, if it weren't for the cyclic vomiting flares, I probably would have POTS, but it wouldn't be, I wouldn't notice it as much as I do. Like I probably wouldn't have as many bad days and fainting episodes and things but they're directly tied together of they make each other worse and there's no fix to it. So it's just going to continue to be this. Yeah. So you had a tilt table test and they, is that when they diagnosed POTS? Originally? No, hmm. <laughs> I had a cardiac tilt table test and you're supposed to not talk to the patient while they're on the tilt table. 
it's supposed to be quiet and you let what happens happens and just check in on them every couple minutes. And for my cardiac one, they talked to me the entire time. I got dizzy and there wasn't enough evidence to show that I had POTS. So originally it was just vasovagal syncope. As time went on, I got the POTS tag, got into Mayo for neurology. And she said, well, I want to run a whole autonomic dysfunction panel to see what's going on and see if there's something else other than the cyclic vomiting that's like make sure it's cyclic vomiting and make sure it's not some other autonomic dysfunction illness and my tilt table come back on that one showing i do have pots but she said if i was like a normal person that didn't have 13 other illnesses i might get lightheaded i might get dizzy probably wouldn't faint and probably wouldn't even get these super high heart rates i get and it would just kind of be more of a lightheaded dizziness every once in a while than it is what it is now. Yeah, interesting. Do you have migraines? I remember you saying that the, your dog is trained to to catch migraines. So I had migraines growing up, which is another reason I think I have cyclic vomiting because studies in adults have shown that if you had migraines at a young age, sometimes that can turn into cyclic vomiting. But the alert for a cyclic vomiting episode is the same as a migraine alert. Oh, okay. So when you're training so, the dog, that that's yes. why they're trained for the migraines. Yeah, because I remember Raven saying that uh, CVS might be caused by like a stomach migraine. Mm -hmm. So he knows about an hour or two before I do that I'm going to get nauseous and start throwing up, which allows me time usually to get home. Wow, or get that, that I'm is so cool. Home. Yes. <laughs> that's so cool. What like a and superpower. Then, yes. And then right now I'm trying. I just got one day pierced and... If it gives me any level of relief, I'll go get the other one because there are studies that that's helped migraines. And I don't know if it'll help cyclic vomiting, but I'm kind of at a point that I'm willing to try anything. So Wh Which piercing helps migraines? The day piercing. So it's like this inner bump in your ear. Oh, I've never heard of that. That's interesting. And too soon to tell you <laughs> that if it's helping. Yeah, I'm supposed to, if my body goes on its usual every other week, I should have an episode this week and we'll see if it gives any level it might not there's no studies on it for cyclic vomiting so i'm kind of just running my own experiment <laughs> yeah tell me about um chronic lyme disease i don't remember ever getting lyme like i don't remember having a tick bite that set things off or like in nursing school they teach you if there's a bullseye rash that's lyme disease like your stereotypical what a doctor would look for is a bullseye rash that's how they diagnose it that's when you get the antibiotics i never had that um so i went in at one point to an integrative health doctor thinking maybe she could just help me. I don't know. I kind of given up on your traditional medicine because I felt like they had given up on me. So I went and saw an integrative health doctor and she ran some tests. She said, there's gotta be some root cause. There's gotta be something else going on. I want to test you for Lyme. And I said, okay, like go ahead, run the test, whatever. Um, just another test. Well, just another test was 23 test tubes of a blood draw. Mm. <laughs> and she came back and it has shown there's two two kinds of tests that they can run. One shows like you have a recent infection slash currently are infected. Yeah. That one was clean. Then there was one that shows you were infected in the past and but it's still like in your blood. And that one was pretty high. So I've probably had it for a long time. Hmm. So antibiotics weren't an option. So I tried a detox and it didn't work. So that was back when I lived in Tennessee. Now I'm in Atlanta. Um, 
I need to find a new Lyme doctor, but it's Lyme is tricky because it's not something, if you have chronic Lyme, it's hard to find a doctor because doctors are kind of like, well, you don't have a bullet eye rash, you don't have Lyme disease. So it's hard to find somebody that's willing to work with a chronic Lyme case, especially when a detox didn't work and you can't take antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. And I this is a road I've been down as well. I was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease at one point. I think I was the opposite, where it was like the, I, the recent infection was positive, but the past infection was low, which didn't make mm-hmm. sense because I had had symptoms for years at that point, uh, and I had not had a recent tick bite I, that I knew of, and we thought if I had it, it had to be something from childhood. Um, so I, mine was right. essentially a false positive test, and yeah. my doctor decided to treat anyway, and I did like the antibiotics for a year and um, just made me worse. <laughs> um, so I think it's like the IgG and the IgM. One is yeah. recent, one is past. I don't remember which yeah. is which. So how how much of of your overall symptom picture do you think is attributed to chronic Lyme? I don't know um, because I didn't think that that one was going to come back positive. So I tested positive for Bartonella, Borrelia, and one of those might be cat scratch fever, but I have cat scratch fever, but that might be one of these are like the common, common co-infections with Lyme. Right. So I have some co-infections. Um, the other theory is that I could have had this and that's, what's triggering all of these illnesses, hmm. but we don't know because it just, it just tells you, you had a past infection. It doesn't tell you when that infection was. Um, so it could be the underlying thing that I had a genetic predisposition predisposition to all of these illnesses i got lyme my immune system got suppressed because of lyme disease and everything got triggered out it could be that i was immune suppressed from all these other things got lyme disease lyme just kind of flew under the radar because i had all these other things so there's it's kind of unknown of what what allowed what what triggered what but i also don't know what having 14 illnesses i don't know what anything is anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that totally makes sense I, I i think that's the western blot that you must have taken for lyme disease that has the igg and the igm um so. yeah and i did that twice and i got very different results both times and there's also just some like inconsistency in the test itself which is also they, really frustrating. <laughs> yes. And they told me that up front. Um, she actually ran it twice and I oh, had good. similar results both times. Oh, good. So yeah. that was kind of our, okay, yeah, you, you do have this. I tell my mom all the time, like as somebody who wanted to work in medicine, if I was a doctor, I would want to take my case because I think it's so intriguing. Like you have all these things, you have all these like co-things, it's 14 illnesses, what goes with what? Like, I feel like I'd be a really cool case to study and- I mean, I'm sure everyone feels that way, but I don't know. I feel like if I was a doctor, I would want to like try things on me and try to figure things out. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I got so lucky finding a doctor who thought that way, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them feel the opposite. It's like, oh, this person has 14 illnesses. I don't want to touch this file. Yeah. That's what I found. (laughs) (laughs) But I was lucky. My my primary care has been very. I just got a new primary doctor, and my first my first visit with her, I went and she said, "Do you want to have a physical, or do you just want to talk about your story? Because it looks like there's a lot to dive into." And I said, "You know what? I've never had a doctor ask that. I would love to just talk and let you get to know me and let you get to know my illnesses." And I'm thankful we did that because when I went to Mayo, 
she found some of my neuropathy that I was getting in my feet and hands and stuff was from a severe B12 deficiency that like I knew I had a B12 deficiency. I took a B12 supplement, but nobody was looking at why my numbers weren't going up. And so she goes, you need an injection. But if I give it to you here in Minnesota, it's going to cost way more. So I just messaged my primary and she looked at my lab. She looked at everything that I've taken for B12 and she prescribed the injections just because she had known like, this is everything that went on with her. This is her journey. Yeah. Obviously she needs this B12 injection. So I was very glad that she was a really cool doctor to just sit there and go, Hey, I want to learn more about your case. I want to learn about you. That's going to be your appointment today. Yeah. I love that. And you went to Mayo Clinic. Yes. When was that? I've been to Mayo Clinic uh, three times. I've been to Mayo Jacksonville twice. Um, One was last year in 2022. Then I had some telehealth visits, went back down there for my autonomic dysfunction panel. And then I went to Mayo, Minnesota this past May to see neurology there because GI kind of given up on my case. She was like, well, I've tried everything I can for sickly vomiting, just go on disability and good luck. And I was like, well, that's unacceptable. Um, no, there's gotta be something else you can do. So she said, well, I could refer you to neurology, but they might not be able to do anything either. And I was like, well, that would still be more helpful than just go on disability and live your vomiting life. Mm. And so the Mayo Jacksonville campus couldn't see me till December of this year. And the one in Minnesota could see me in May. And that was back in like February. So I said, well, I guess I'm, guess I'm going to Minnesota. So went to Minnesota. <laughs> and what what did you learn there? Not much. We learned that the POTS and the cyclic vomiting were directly related to making each other worse. We learned that I probably wouldn't have POTS if it weren't for the cyclic vomiting. Um, and that was the doctor that told me like, you could try marijuana, you could not like, mm. you know, do what you want. Um, and she's been helpful. She's tried some new medications that I didn't think of. And she's kind of looked at my overall chart and been like, there's been some, like some stuff that's happened in your case that I like shouldn't have happened. Like they should have caught the cyclic vomiting back when I had Crohn's and it was happening every three months. I was getting these vomiting episodes. She goes, why did nobody look at that? And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, why is nobody looking at your B12? I was like, I don't know. Hmm. She was very like, I don't think she's a cold person. I think she was just trying to figure things out. And I think she's very smart. So she was like asking all these questions. I was like, I don't know why they don't do things. I'm just here. Like I'm just sick. Fix me. Um, but now that I'm not in the appointment, she's a great doctor and she knows what she's doing and she wants to help. Um, she's just very matter of fact. And she definitely looked at my whole case and was like, why is why did this not get done? Why did they do this? Why didn't GI do this? And then finally she goes, who's your GI for cyclic vomiting? I said, Mayo Clinic. And she mm-hmm. goes, Oh, well, I guess we're going to be done talking about that now. And she's <laughs> gone. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. It's just complications on top of complications. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And the only one we haven't really touched at all on this list yet is long COVID. When did you get COVID? I've had COVID twice. The first time I got it with my college roommates, we all got it, came down with it. That was fine. Um, I was vaccinated at the time. I was hospitalized after the first vaccine or with the first vaccine. Um, I was throwing up blood, had extreme stomach pain. I think it just flared up a bunch of my stuff. 
Um, but because I was on Humira and on immune suppressants, they decided there was a big debate on whether or not I should get the second vaccine. And we all decided the risks outweigh the, the cost. So I got the second vaccine, was just a little dizzy, um, but did fine. Got COVID. That was in September of 2020 is when I got that. And then I got it, the third vaccine, a few months later. Um, I was in a clinical study for Crohn's with like the effect COVID had on Crohn's disease. And through that, I was able to get some antibodies tests, found out I had none. So my body just didn't take the vaccine or COVID and do what it was supposed to on that. So that might be a whole other issue in its own, but I'm not going to think about it. Then my boyfriend came down. It was the first time we were going to spend Christmas together and we were in Atlanta and he went out with one of his friends um, and midway through them hanging out. He goes, by the way, my brother's at home with COVID. I don't think I've been exposed. And I had just arrived, just come to hang out with them. And then we both got COVID and I was down bad, almost hospitalized with it. I couldn't breathe. I was coughing. I was throwing up blood, ended up getting the IV antibodies, didn't get hospitalized, luckily. And now I have long COVID. How how has that changed your chronic illness situation? What are the additional symptoms you experience from long COVID? So it's tricky because basically I got that last round where I had just normal COVID. Um, in December of 2021, January, 2022, like three weeks into January, I was hospitalized with a bad cyclic vomiting episode that I didn't know was cyclic vomiting at the time. Um, I couldn't hold food down for about a week and was severely dehydrated, hungry and vomiting. So that started the cyclic vomiting. And then April of 2022 is when the fainting started. So I don't know if those two things got triggered because of COVID, but it's also hard because now I have, you've probably noticed it while we've been on of me having to kind of gasp for air Mm. as I'm doing it now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I have a lot of shortness of breath and they don't know if that's long COVID or POTS. They actually found I have long COVID coincidentally from testing for POTS and cyclic vomiting because I now have, spots on my lungs that they're finding with long COVID patients. Um, and they were running a scan for cyclic vomiting. I don't know what they were looking for. They ran some sort of chest x-ray and chest CT and all this other stuff. And that's when they found the spots and they were like, Oh yeah. So we still don't know what's going on with the throwing up, but by the way, you do have long COVID as well. And I was like, Oh, cool. Good to know. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know what is long COVID versus POTS because there seems to be some interlap. But then there's also that POTS that got triggered. Like there's a lot of patients who got COVID who now have POTS. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason why they don't think my POTS is necessarily that related is because I have some indicators early on from before COVID even existed that indicated I could have had POTS back then. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's all so complicated when you have this many things happening. Balancing it all is <laughs> such a challenge. What What are your um, coping mechanisms? I used to do yoga a lot. 
And that was very like for mindfulness and just having time to relax. That was really good for me. However, with the POTS thing, now I can't do the up and down motion. And mm. so it kind of got boring. During college, I was a college athlete. So I would go to the gym. I would work out. I can't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> I used to travel. Can't do that anymore because I can't drive. Well, I can. I just got driving restrictions lifted. So I'm starting to get back into that. So that's been helpful. But I actually start therapy next week to try to get some new coping mechanisms for everything just because a lot of what I used to do I can't do anymore so that's been kind of challenging yeah that's such a hard part about all this is the things that are taken away from you the things that you love that you can no longer do and for me it took me years until I started developing new things that I could do and discovering that this horrific left turn that my life took led to Uh, a path that I never would have expected that has brought me a lot of joy. Have you discovered anything like that so far? Anything that you wouldn't have expected that this has brought to your life? I would say dog training, actually. Yeah. I'm thinking about it because that's kind of where that sparked from was I got Sebastian kind of at the lowest point because that was when I, like my dream job was to be a nurture doctor. I had said it since I was little and I was there. I was in nursing school, about to get my nursing degree as an accelerated program, had all A's, um, have this biology degree that I had gotten in the past four years. So I was like, I, I was there, I was doing it. And then that got ripped from under me. And so I was kind of like, well, I don't know what to do now and got Sebastian. And luckily I did get Sebastian because it did open up You know, now I have social media content creating where I'm getting brand deals with his page. I'm I'm a dog trainer and I enjoy dog training and I, it does bring me joy. It's happy. I like, I still get that feeling when you help someone like I used to when I was in the medical field of, oh, I helped you. You're happy. You're moving on. And so I would say, yeah, dog training's definitely been a blessing I never thought I was going to get into. Yeah. And the more you stay open to what life is bringing you, the more things like that will appear. And it can be very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> How has this affected your relationships? You've mentioned your, your boyfriend a few times. Um, I know from experience that chronic illness can be such a hard thing to navigate, not just for yourself, but for the way that it affects your family and your loved ones. Yes, it has not been easy. Um, I'm the oldest of four and all four of us have something or more than one something. Um, My brother has a rare bone disorder called fibrous dysplasia. So he just got a metal rod put into his leg. He is 12 years old. Um, The 17 year old, the 17 year old sister I mentioned earlier, she has hypermobility spectrum disorder, amplified pain syndrome, and some other things that she doesn't really talk about. And then the sister right below me, who's four years younger than me. So she's 19 has severe TMJ that's deteriorated part of her jaw along with arthritis and then there's me with my 14 so it's definitely not been easy um and then it definitely showed me who my friends really are throughout college um and it was hard because i got sick a semester into college so i also had to balance you know i just made all these friends but now i'm also sick how do i kindle and keep these friendships going but it also made me very selective in who who I let in and who I was actually friends with and showed me very quickly, these are the people I want in my life, these are the people I don't. And so 
how to do some growing up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I th someone once said, I think it might have been Amy, said that chronic illness is a crappy person detector. <laughs> it very much is. Um, I was actually, when I got sick with Crohn's disease, dating someone else, and there was a lot of a lot of things wrong in that relationship. But part of it was that I couldn't go out on all these dates and I couldn't do this and I'd have to cancel. And that created a lot of angst and a lot of problems. Um, and then with my current relationship, we've been dating for almost four years and wow. he knew me pre getting sick because we've known each other since middle school. Um, we actually dated in middle school <laughs> Oh, and then <laughs> yeah, we dated in middle school, broke up, didn't date all of high school. And then um, we, I went to go surprise my best friend at the time was at the same college as him in Tennessee. They went to university of Tennessee. And so I was like, Hey, he lived with some other guys from high school. So I was like, can I come sleep on your couch? I'm surprising her for her birthday. Um, like, I don't know who else to ask. I really don't want to get a hotel room. I'll spend the night with her the rest of the weekend. And we had been kind of talking. Um, but I wasn't sure where we were at of like, did I only like him? Did he like me? We went to school four hours apart. I have all these chronic illnesses, like wasn't really looking for a relationship. And we had a lot of discussions about like that night that I slept on their couch. We had a lot of conversations of, you know, is that something we want to pursue? Do we want to start dating? Cause it turns out he did like me. Um, and at that time I only had Crohn's disease. That, that was it. <laughs> so it wasn't that big of an issue, but with every new, every new diagnosis, I've always said, Hey, you know, you can leave, you can break up with me. I'm not going to be mad. I get it. Like I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to date someone with all these illnesses because that's going to cause issues in the future. And if I ever want to have kids, there's a possibility some of these things get passed on to their, like them and that and their kids. And, you know, if you want to leave, leave, like this is your out, go ahead. And he's luckily stayed through all of them. Um, and now is trying to, we're in a weird spot where like most of our friends are getting engaged. We've been dating almost four years, but we also have this, I can't work a traditional job and I'm 1099 with dog training. So I don't have benefits and he's getting his career, but there's also for him a little bit of added pressure of, I need to make sure I have a job that has good benefits that has insurance that can cover Caitlin and make sure that if we ever get to a point where Caitlin can't work, I have that career that is going to make sure we're still okay. Um, so I would say it's definitely impacted our relationship as much as our friends. I don't feel like have all these thoughts and all these problems. And we have to have these very grown up and almost like we're married conversations of these are the things we need to plan for. These are the things that need to be set up. And I'm very fortunate to have someone like him who takes it very gracefully and is very supportive. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. That's so important. And you're still, I mean, 23 is very young. You are in no rush. <laughs> no, we're yeah. not. But it definitely it, it makes it a little harder because like i would have graduated in may from nursing school and had this amazing career like i already had a job lined up um i just needed to go get the degree so we were lined up to have all the things that our friends are right now having um but it didn't work out so it's fine. yeah yeah and things in life don't work out for a variety of reasons you never know where life is going to take you and staying open to the feedback that life is giving you about where it wants you to go is very important. Learning to work with that instead of fighting against it is what you're doing. And I think that's the, the only thing we can do when 
When you have 14 <laughs> chronic illnesses, what else are you supposed to do? <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. It's just trying to take what, what life brings. And it's definitely not where I thought I was going to be at 23. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one more question for you. If you could go back to the beginning of this journey, when you were around you know, 18, 19 years old, and your first chronic illness began, with everything that you've learned, which is a lot, I mean, you are a font of information about <laughs> not just your own story, but these illnesses themselves. If you could go back and share yourself one piece of information that you think might ease your pathway through this tumultuous journey, what would it be? I think I'd go back and tell myself to advocate for myself more because I learned it very quickly after I got the Crohn's diagnosis and after like things declined to advocate and fight for more testing and like don't accept, I don't know as an answer, but I feel like in that almost two years between 2018 and 2020 of getting the Crohn's diagnosis, I wish I had known it's okay to fight back and it's okay to advocate for yourself and say like, this is not right. Not that it might've made a huge difference, but I think it would have, it could have helped back then. Yeah. And it's something that takes time to learn to do, but also yes. takes time to learn that you need to do it. So the faster yes. <laughs> you get to the point where you know you have to, you can start working on the skills to learn how, because that's something that takes a long time to figure out how to effectively push back and get what you need done with doctors who oftentimes just don't have time to listen. So, and you know, yeah. it feels oftentimes like they don't want to help. And I think that that's not necessarily the case. I think that a lot of them really do want to help, but they just, like the system is set up in a way that makes it kind of next to impossible for them to do much sometimes. Um, so being your own advocate, learning how to advocate for yourself and to make sure you get the tests you need, that you get the time that you need with your doctor, those are crucial, crucial skills to have. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, Caitlin, amazing job today. I have loved talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing this piece of your journey with us. Uh, you mentioned your social media presence. Let us know where we can go online to find you. Yes. So I have two accounts. Um, one is trusting.my.gut. And that's where I've shared literally everything, <laughs> every test, every appointment, every up and down, graduating, all of it is on that page, which I'm very thankful I have because um, it's kind of like my little diary of this journey. And then Sebastian has his own page. It's service.dog.sebastian on all platforms. Um, they're both on TikTok and Instagram. And then Sebastian's also on YouTube. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been so great to get to know you. I'm so glad I went into this one not, not knowing what to expect because it was a real journey and it was a lot of fun talking today. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. 
Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.